Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Sorry, it's going up a little bit late this week. Uh, the reason is, well, I've just had a big week. Uh, my TV show, Gruen, uh, was back on the air and then we had some technical difficulties with the show that went out. Uh, well, we, we didn't. The, sh- the show we made was all fine, but then when it got played out through the technology, uh, bloody technology, you make one too many jokes about the NBN and technology come back, comes back to bite you. Uh, so... I've been dealing with some stuff around that. But anyway, there is a version of that show now up on ABC iView if you missed it uh, on the television and you can watch it uh, you know, whenever you want on ABC iView. Or uh, there's three repeats over the weekend. There's a couple of late night repeats that they've put on of the show for people or the XL version that runs out, of course, on Friday nights. So uh, Gruen is back uh, if you like that show and you haven't caught it yet, ABC iView or one of the repeats. Uh, today's episode... Sam Mack. Now, um, some people might know Sam Mack as the, you know, the wacky weather guy from the Sunrise program in Australia, but I've known Sam Mack a lot longer than that, and I've done some of my favourite work that I've ever done with the brilliant Sam Mack. Uh, We refer in this uh, podcast to a little project that he and I made together when we were on the radio called Black Thunderbelly, which is kind of a, you know, parody of the world of commercial radio that we were working in, kind of set you know, like a young kid in the underbelly world. Anyway, it's uh, available on my Fofop podcast stream, F-O-F-O-P, Fofop. Uh, if you scroll through there, Black Thunderbelly is what you're looking for. If you want to have a listen to that, if your interest is piqued by this podcast, I love Sam. He's a really brilliant guy, one of the sweetest, most generous guys I know, and it was a great pleasure to have a catch up with him. Um if you enjoy me chatting to Sam on my Fofop podcast, I don't get updated that regularly, but there's a nearly 300 old episodes and uh, a bunch of them are with Sam. So if you're a Sam Mac fan and you just want to hear us, you know, mucking about and, you know, being a little less serious than we are in this one, then uh, those Fofop podcasts are the place to find that. But today it was really nice to talk to Sam about his life and what he thinks about life and the things that he is passionate about. And, you know, um, it was great fun. And I'm a great fan of his and I'm a great admirer of his. And uh, if you only know him from doing The Weather on Sunrise, I hope you're going to learn a lot more about him from listening to this podcast. So thanks for listening. Uh, if you would like to support the podcast, Willosophy uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash Willosophy. That's W-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y, Willosophy on uh, Patreon. Uh, you can support there You know, for as little as a dollar a month. That helps us keep the lights on and pay everybody involved in this podcast and, uh, you know, keep it coming out weekly. So thanks very much for listening and I'll uh, talk to you again soon. Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. If it seems like my introduction was a little low-key and a little ABC conversations today, it's because I had a false start on my original introduction and came in a little hot, as they say in the business, and blew out the microphone. So now I've, I've brought it back to this more relaxing and conversational tone. So welcome to uh, the Willosophy podcast with Will Anderson, where I have an in-depth conversation with a guest about the nature of existence, the meaning of life. And uh, uh, every week I am joined uh, by an intellectual of the modern age. And today is no different to have this 
conversation about life and its inherent meaning. Uh, this is how the conversation starts. I ask our guest whom they are. So, guest, whom are you? How you going? My name's <laughs> Sam Mack. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to kill that vibe. Uh, my name's Sam Mack and I'm an alleged entertainer. Hello, alleged entertainer Sam Mack. How are you, my friend? I'm really well. I like that. I haven't heard you do that voice before. Is that a new part of your new um, this stand-up tour that you'll be doing? Oh, well, you, know, show you know me and all my voices. Change that I direction. Do. Uh, no, this is the end period of my career. As somebody who's been in ABC TV for 20 years, <laughs> once I've wrung some money out of commercial radio, I'll settle into doing some overnight show on the ABC where I do a, like a 40-question quiz for two and a half hours. There's one thing I'd love to hear you say in that voice, if that's possible, yes. and that's that Triple M rocks footy. Triple M rocks football. Oh, yes. Right in the fields. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Hey, Sam Mack, nice to have you here. Um, uh, we have known each other for a very long time, uh, you and I, uh, but your world has changed a lot of recent. You are not an alleged entertainer. You are a gold Logie nominated entertainer. That's what you are. Or a gold Logie nominated alleged entertainer at the very <laughs> least. I would suggest to you, Sam Mack, and I say this without having necessarily, you know, done all the research to back it up. But I'm going to say you're the hardest working man in show business. Really? I'm going to say that you ring more entertainment value out of, you're like a entertainment, uh, what are they called? Alchemist? Are they the ones who, you know, you take, you know, ordinary day-to-day -day items and weave them into unexpected comedy gold. I love that. That's a beautiful compliment. Thank you, Will. Uh, you have recently done something that has tickled me in ways that I have not been tickled for a very long time, which mm -hmm. is uh, a collaboration with the Wiggles. Unbelievable. That whole experience, um, it came about because, so yeah, I work for Sunrise, Australian TV show. I'll do the resets. Um, you know, if you're international listeners, it's not that sort of podcast. We'll get to that. People discover as they go along. We don't, we don't burn it all up. Sorry, top, I mean, Sam. We're in a commercial radio studio, yeah. so I just feel we have to reset things every yeah. 30 seconds. Got Sam on this week. The cash cow is of course our guest on philosophy <laughs> yeah. next week. Tickets to the Google dollars in the next half hour. I'm here with the cash cow. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, that would be a great podcast. Maybe your 200th episode. I like to think that while I'm interviewing you, Richard Feidler is over at Conversations interviewing the cash cow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're a cow, but you're caught up in the system of ca ca capitalism. Now, how do you feel about the cross-section between being a cow and, and capitalism? <laughs> Um, the Wiggles thing was crazy. I, I, so we travel around, we do all sorts mm. of things with the weather roll. Um, and I'd spoken to my producer, Sean Flynn, AKA the human emoji mm. looks like an emoji. And we talked about this idea of me wanting to release a song, a children's song, cause I play guitar and keyboard and I'm interested in music. Um, and we've got a lot of crosses to fill and <laughs> <laughs> seven a day, seven a day. Um, and this is, this is completely true. The Blue Wiggle, Anthony, who's mm. one of the founding members of the Wiggles, mm. had slid into my DMs. Now, that's not normally what you're looking for in terms of a DM slide, but he had, and he said that he enjoyed my segments and he liked my music. And he actually said, and this is a quote, if you ever want to have a jam at Hot Potato Studios, let me know. Their studios are actually called Hot Potato Studios. I mean, of course they are. Yeah. Now, did you, uh, did they send a big red car for you? <laughs> no. Yeah. Wake up, Sam. <laughs> um, that was so exciting because I mm. love what the Wiggles do. Like they are obviously internationally hugely successful. Um, and it was exciting to know that he liked what I was doing and what have you. So 
when this idea came about, they wanted us to um, give a plug to the fact that they were starting a national tour around Australia. They wanted to announce that. And then they said, on the same day, you can come along to our studios and, and muck around with some music. So we went there. The day before, I wrote a song. And just to set the scene, I didn't have to write a song. I decided to write a song because I wanted to do something with the Wiggles and see what they think and get honest feedback. And I just thought it would be fun. I was hung over on a Sunday, I had a big Saturday night and I'm sitting there at one o'clock on the Sunday afternoon. Normally at that point you start to get into work mode. You would know the brekkie hours, you start to think winding down. Um, and I thought, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to write a children's song. And I spent the next three or four hours finding instrumental beds, writing a song and I'm a big cat man. I've got two rescue cats. So I wrote a song called Half Man, Half Cat and took it in there, performed 40 seconds of it for the next morning. We got off the air and Anthony Blue Wiggle looked me in the eye and said, that's a hit. I feel like this is one of those like music, like behind the music, MTV, you know, the Beatles writing, <laughs> this is Abbey Road. It feels like the start of Walk the Line. <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, are going to be a star and then just wiggles his fingers at you. Yes. Um, so, and I, I thought he was being nice yes. to me, but he said, no, no, I'm, I'm serious. That's a great song because it's catchy. It's fun. It's silly. Cats are universal. He said, it's not something that only Aussie kids would get. Um, do you yeah. want to record if you'd it? gone in and yeah, sung a song called Half Man, Half Kangaroo, well, then well, that's just the doesn't release have, early next year. does not have international appeal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he, he said, do you want to record it mm. today? And do you want to record a video clip today? So in the space of an hour and a half, we had recorded the song. The, the Wiggles had done backing vocals. I turned around and the Wiggles were wearing cat ears and whiskers. We did the video clip. <laughs> they taught me choreography. The Yellow Wiggle, Emma was teaching me dance moves. And then all of a sudden, um, later that day, I get sent a contract from Wiggly Records. <laughs> <laughs> this is all real, by the way. I cannot believe that this whole thing happened. Um, so I signed with the Wiggly, Wiggly, everyone they collaborate with or collab, we say in the yeah. biz, you have to sign a thing. Yeah. Um, Were you poached by an A&R person <laughs> to get you down to Wiggly Records? <laughs> so that happened. And now the video clip is out there. It's mm. on YouTube. It's called Half Man, Half Cat. Ain't, no problem. Ain't nobody got a problem with that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the year, they've invited me to perform it in one of their stadium shows, which will be in front of 10,000 kids. So it, the whole experience has blown my, my mind. And it came directly after the Logies thing, which was also crazy. So I've had a couple of months where... I think I've just experienced things, highs that I never had even imagined. Okay. So I am going to say that both of those things are examples of the fact that you've started with this idea. You've got seven breaks to fill. That's, that's your minimum yeah. you know, requirement of the day, yeah. right? You got seven breaks to fill. Now you can fill them, you know, in some ways with whatever you, you want, you know, I mean, so the only limit is the limit of your creativity or your ambition. Yeah. And I'm sure that a lot of the time they would be happy with less than what you bring to the table. Like you said, that Wiggles bit would have worked fine without you sitting down on a 100%. Sunday. And sometimes they ask for that. Yeah. That, could you, <laughs> Which really builds your confidence yeah. up. Yeah. Less of the whole you thing. Yeah. Could you yeah, dial it down a little, to be honest? This is mostly about the Wiggles, not you, half man, half cat. <laughs> But Anthony turns said it had out, global appeal. Turns out somebody does have a problem with that. And it's the Channel 7 executives behind Sunrise. <laughs> turns out someone does have a problem with that and it's Koshy because he didn't get nominated for the gold luggy. 
But the point being that you've taken these opportunities that could have been one thing and by you putting the extra effort in or trying to, you know, being willing to put yourself on the line and turn those things into a memorable moment, then these opportunities have risen out of that. So tell me about your attitude of, uh, you know, when you first got that job, that because I think this is a good place to start, yeah. what your attitude to that job was when you first got it and what you saw the opportunity being and what it's kind of grown into that's culminated, you know, in like you said, in this last couple of months with, you know, you being uh, a Gold Logie nominee and you also being... Um, uh, you a, know, wiggle. a wiggle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot to take in. It's a, it's a big couple of months. <laughs> um, when I when I first got the job, I I wanted to make the crosses memorable as a entry point. I wanted to make them stand out. I didn't want them to look like normal TV. And can you remember what the brief was? Like, did they have an idea when they came? You know, when you were you know discussing with the fact that you would be the person who would do it. Did they have an idea of what they wanted and were you on the same page as them? Well, they, so I worked for the project on Channel 10 before, before Sunrise and I did a couple of sort of fill-in spots a week here and there and maybe a couple of days on the weekend for Sunrise. So they got a sense of what I was about. Um, but everything that I was doing on the project, the project was actually amazing for me on so many levels, but it was almost, uh, training the Metro whip around, which was a segment at the end of every week, they would cross to each city in Australia and say what's on for the weekend. And I was doing that while I was doing radio in Perth and you had about maybe 40 seconds of airtime and you'd have a whole week to build up to this 40 seconds of airtime. So I would arrange a guy to drive from Newcastle to Sydney with a camel to use that as a prop. Like we would, and it became competitive. You know, Fitzy was doing it, Jules Schiller, Tim Blackwell, uh, Tommy Little. Uh, it became like this competition, healthy competition. So it really got me into this mindset of, okay, it's 40 seconds, but you can do a lot in 40 seconds. So if you plan that really well, and if you put everything into it, you can make memorable TV in 40 seconds. So that got me into, I guess, that mindset of not just accepting that it can be um, beige and run of the mill and standard. And sure, that's fine. And that sometimes you have to do that, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. So they could see that I was trying to push things and to do things that were memorable and maybe didn't look like normal TV. And going back to what I was starting to say about, I didn't want it to look like normal TV. Normal TV to me, particularly breakfast is often, you know, someone who's standing there in one spot, they're looking quite well presented and official and, and talking to the camera. Then it's like an interview piece. I didn't want that. I wanted people because a lot of people don't have the TV turned up that louder or they're getting their kids ready for school in the morning or they're not really, you don't have their full attention. So I wanted them to see things that looked weird on the screen. I wanted this, why is Sam wearing one of those things around his neck in a spa with babies? I, I want that. And that happened. I want those things to happen. I want the audience to go, I need to know more. Why is, what's the, what, what is this about? That's half the battle, the, the way that I see it. So that's kind of my entry level. And then if you can make it funny and memorable and interesting on top of that, brilliant. Yeah, there is, uh, we, we obviously in the radio studio in the mornings have all the TVs on the various networks, but the, you know, the volume isn't up. And th there is a sense that your stuff pops out of the screen, unlike anything else that you see in the morning. Because mostly it's people sitting around desks or couches being interviewed, yeah, you know, throwing the packages, and then suddenly, you know, you're in a, you're in your aerobics gear, <laughs> like <laughs> on a beach, and you're like, "What's well, Sam up to today? What's just he doing today?" The other today? day, I was at a um, uh, thing called Kanga Training, which yeah. is for pregnant mums, no, sorry, mums who've just given birth, um, doing their first kind of physical exercise to improve your pelvic floor. Mm. So I'm in there wearing a, an actual baby strapped to me in a carrier, and I taught them choreography to um, the John Farnham song, Take the Pressure Down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so 
Even when I talk about it, I know it's ridiculous. This I know bec- it's absurd. This has become your signature, which is you do these things almost in the style. And I know that's somebody that you uh, are a great admirer of, but like as if they're bits on, you know, Conan's, you know, tonight show. Yeah. That's, that's what these sunrise bits, instead of them being, here's the wacky weather guy with a bunch of kids and they're, the kids are doing something like there's always been that element of it being an experience, yeah. but you have, you've taken that aspect of it and then tried to add on this extra layer of something. Yeah. I think to put it simply, go for it. Mm. Don't worry if someone's going to, oh, you look like an idiot or why you're dressed like that. It doesn't matter. Uh, first thing in the morning and particularly with a show like Sunrise and with Breakfast TV, obviously a big part of the show is the news and, and a lot of the news is sad and a lot of the news is depressing and the kids are seeing this, you know, there's terror attacks, there's all these awful things going on. So I love that part of my job is to be an idiot and to be a fool and make people laugh or go, why is he doing that? Or kids to go, oh, that's a funny costume. I love that. Almost cartoonish. And yes, Conan's one of my heroes and he's, you know, let, let's not joke around. He's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, but he'll happily put on a clown costume. He knows his audience and he knows how to make it funny and he's willing to put his body on the line to make entertainment. And I take, I really respect that and admire that. Did you, were you able to jump straight into what you wanted to do in those segments or was there a sort of period of time where you had to get, let them get to know you a bit, you had to earn their trust a bit? Can you remember the first time you did something where you were like, oh, hang on, this is really in the zone of what it is that I want to do. And it started to cut through and, you know, people started to I go, can. oh, this works. It was when I released a rap single with Nicky Webster. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Strawberry Kisses 2017. Um, it did take a little while to to win over the audience. And I, I think you were asking before about, um, you know, when I came onto the show, did they know where I was going to take it, where I wanted to take it? They wanted to do something different from Edwina, who had done it amazingly well for three and a half years before me, Edwina Bartholomew, and she's still a fantastic part of the Sunrise show. Um, and, you know, as much as we're friends and we have similar interests and that kind of thing, we are very different in terms of presentation style and ideas. So they wanted to do something different, which was great for me because I think they're a bit more allowing of me pushing and trying things. But probably the Nikki Webster, and that one came about through, again, it's... Uh, it comes back to taking a risk and backing yourself in. And that's one thing that I wanted to get out in this podcast for maybe youngsters who are looking to forge away in media or whatever field you're in. You know, if you back yourself and if you take those risks, they're not all going to pay off, but enough of them will. And certainly in my experience. So with that one, for example, I knew that we were doing the bridge climb, Sydney Harbour bridge climb with Nikki Webb. So we, we, well, actually I suggested to my producer, I said, why don't we get a celebrity up there? And he said, any ideas? And then I just thought, the Sydney Harbour Bridge is an icon. Nikki Webster is an icon. She, of course, you know, flew through the sky, Australia, uh, the 2000 Olympics opening ceremony. And he called the um, Nikki Webster Dance Studios. You'll never guess who answered the phone. Nikki Webster? Yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Nikki Webster Dance Studios. Nikki Webster speaking. And surprisingly, it was available. And then she, she's a delight. She's so lovely and so talented. And we forget how crazy her life has been. So we've worked with her on a number of things since then. But... The Harbour Bridge thing, we had that as a surprise. So surprise for the host. So that's another part of what I like to do is I don't like to tell the other hosts, Koshi, Sam, etc., too much about what I'm planning to do. I like it to happen as a surprise, naturally on the air. So it's like they're reading their notes, looking about the next segment, which is something about, you know, global warming. And then suddenly <laughs> Nicky Webster pops up. And they're like, okay, we better pay attention. What's happening here? <laughs> um, so the Nicky Webster thing... I thought, you know, it could be cool to have her sing a little snippet on top of the bridge. That's great. 
And then I thought, what about if we have a sound guy there and we have our own backing track and I actually write a little 20-second rap sequence, insert, and she does the chorus and it's Nikki Webster, Strawberry Kisses 2017, Feet, Sam Mack. So we did that and it had a million views overnight on the Facebook page. So it went crazy and then we decided to record the song properly. Um, Actually, funnily enough, at the Triple M Studios. (laughs) Bit of a theme here in Sydney. A mate of mine, Sidey, Mike Sideshow Anderson, great producer. Uh, he produced it for us, and we officially released it. You can get it on Spotify, raising money for um, the Starlight Children's Foundation. I think we raised almost $10,000. And, yeah, so it had a million point five views, and I think, yeah, it, that was, I think, a turning point where, and we recorded a video clip. I think that was a turning point where they started to go, okay, like, this is not conventional weather reporting. <laughs> He's on top of the Harbour Bridge rapping. Um, Starting to suspect this fella isn't a qualified meteorologist. Um, but I think chipping away, and also uh, I've got an amazing producer, but, but being smart about it and having balance about it. So you can't do that every day. So it's kind of going, all right, we did that wild, crazy thing on Tuesday. Let's have a couple of days where we just kind of, you know, take, pull it back a few notches and then choosing your moments when we have something that we think is exciting and, you know, worth going for, going for it. Live TV. So I have never really done much live TV. I mean, I've been guests on shows and been interviewed and these sort of things, but people talk about the thrill of, you know, going out on live TV, you know, Rove's relaunched his show recently. And, you know, he talked about that idea of how exciting it is to make a show that's going to air live, you know, um, I've never really done anything that has gone out live. You know, we record some things, you know, live to tape, but we don't, don't put them out live and you do live TV every day. And like you said, seven spots a day of live TV. Uh, what's that like? It's one of my favorite parts of the job because it waits for no one. You, we know that we're on every half an hour. Um, there's no second chance. If something goes wrong, often the things that go wrong are my favorite moments. Um, and I think coming back to Conan O'Brien, who is a huge hero of mine, if you ever watched a Conan O'Brien monologue when he used to do the monologues, often the funniest part is a joke that bombs because he then talks about, okay, why did that joke bomb? And he's like, can we get the writer who wrote that joke to come out here? I want to see their, their face needs to be on TV to be associated (laughs) with that joke. (laughs) Um, so yeah. And also obviously a big part of my job is meeting people around Australia from all walks of life, doing so many interesting things. And I love that about it. And if someone's passionate about something, I think that makes good TV. If they're really passionate to talk about it, but People go shy suddenly on TV. They freeze or they swear or they say the wrong thing or they trip over. All of those moments are a part of what I love about the role because you don't know when the next moment is coming from. And I think one thing I'm learning with the job is even on a day that might not be my most exciting in terms of the subject matter, I might not love it personally, someone does and be in that moment because something could happen. We had a prime example the other week. Uh, we are at a strong man, strong woman gym on the Gold Coast and had this idea for um, one of the ladies there who was a strong woman champion. She was going to sort of press me above her head. And this is another thing. I don't like rehearsing things beforehand if we can avoid it. I like it, you know, to happen naturally and get those real reactions. So <laughs> probably regret it in this situation because <laughs> on air, she, she did press me above. But then because my weight is sort of falling to the side, she had to like grab somewhere to, to, to keep me above her head. 
And this is live on TV at like 7.30 in the morning. Kids are watching. She's grabbed right there. Well, but not once, that's, twice. That is the place you're immediately going to grab. Yeah. It's where there's a handhold. <laughs> well, they call it the clean and jerk. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> Come on, mate. <laughs> Don't bring that sunrise material to this class. Uh, that's all the time we have with uh, Sam Mac today. Go to backing on, track. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mozart. Yeah, yeah just, that's right. Mozart kicks in. After I said 30 clean and jerk. Um, uh, yeah. So, but that that was one of those moments where you couldn't have planned. You couldn't have organised that if you tried, and you just don't know what's going to happen. So then. You know, that becomes a fun thing. So then I, I'm saying, you know, that how, how dare she and, you know, what sort of operation are they running here? Will they allow this? Do they train them to, to grab things like that? So you just have fun with it. And that's what I love about live TV, those moments you can't plan and you don't get a second chance at. Uh, what has doing that job taught you? Because how long have you been doing it for now? Uh, over three and a half years. Yeah, okay. So three and a half years. Um, I imagine it's a job that, it must be extremely exhausting because the amount of effort that you're putting into it for a start would be exhausting regardless. But then you have, you know, the travel that comes with it, the fact that it's really early in the morning. And I imagine that some mornings to get things set up and to get things done, it's really early in the mornings. What has been, um, what, well, I guess what has been the greatest challenge of it firstly, and then what do you think, you know, doing the job has taught you? The greatest challenge is, um, time away from home. So just for context, last year I did 132 flights in a year. We do international trips as well as domestic. Um, so on average, I'm away sort of, I'd say three or four nights a week. Sometimes, for example, we're about to an overseas trip. We'll be away eight nights in a row. Then you come home for a day or two, then you go away again. So yeah, that that's the challenge. It makes it hard to have any, I guess, normality and a normal, you know, it, it, it's hard on friendships, relationships, family. So there's sacrifices, absolutely. Uh, and second part of the question, what have I... Well, what do you think you'd like, you have learned out of you know, doing the job? What, how has it changed you, you know, doing this job? It has, it has I guess, taught me to, to back yourself in and go for it. Because so many of the best moments and experiences of my life have, have only resulted because I have had a go. Um, and, and I think that, and this is a good, I think a good lesson for creative people. And I've been guilty of this myself. I'm sure you have. Sometimes you can be so close to something, an idea, or you're, you're trying to perfect it to a level that it may never get to, and it never sees light of day. Whereas I'm sort of learning that you, you've got to have output and, and if you keep having output, you're going to keep getting better. And then eventually you'll start to hit you're not going to hit it every time, but Ricky Gervais doesn't hit it every time. You know, you're much, you're much better trying to, you're much better off trying to get better through putting something out and seeing what was wrong with it and learning from it than keeping it in your pocket forever, trying to get it perfect before you show anybody. hundred percent. Yeah. That's it. You've got to give yourself over to the humility, the humility that comes with acknowledging that you'll put out heaps of shit stuff. Yeah. And don't dwell on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, uh, that turns into, oh, well, uh, let me ask you this, because you are someone who, you know, you're comedically, you know, very strong. You've certainly worked with, you know, comedians on, on shows. You've done comedy, th- things that are straight comedy. Um, but you're not a, like a stand-up comedian in no. that sense. And you haven't come out, and yet you're not, 
you know, you think of like someone like a Stephen Jacobs or a Grant Denyer who do that you know, job, who are much more sort of funny entertainers, mm-hmm. whereas you sit somewhere in between those two things. Yeah. You know, your world, you know, you sit very easily. You can go and do a comedy podcast like the Little Dum Dum Club mm-hmm. and be, you know, very much in the heartland of, you know, the comedy world. But you can also, you know, swing to the other world where you're playing with the grown-ups on the Sunrise show. Has... Have you ever felt like being the wacky weatherman on Sunrise, did you ever get any backlash or did you ever think, oh, maybe this is going to ruin my cool in the, in the comedy world? No, I never, that never crossed my mind because I knew that I was going to do it in my style and I knew that I could still and would still do those things because a lot of those, yourself included, a lot of the comedy community are really good friends of mine and I've worked with them or I know them, I support them, they support me. So... I didn't have any fear of that being the case. And if anything, it's kind of worked out even better because now, you know, when I do other podcasts or when I catch up with comedy mates or, or whatever it is, it's so funny. And like, I'm fully aware of how absurd this job is. Like we had a great moment, even this morning, we were with these guys in Melbourne who they do something called box wars. So they, they, they build massive like art pieces of art basically out of cardboard recyclable cardboard they've now turned it into a business and they've they were sort of engineering background and and we were just about to do the cross and then this guy said hey sorry sam what's this got to do with weather (laughs) (laughs) and i lost it because no one's ever said that to me and And that's the theme of your segment (laughs) what's it got to do with weather oh yeah and you'll enjoy this and this is 100 percent true on at least so i've been doing the job for three and a half years on at least five occasions I've done my interviews, done my cross and forgotten to throw to the weather. <laughs> so I've finished a segment, I've finished an interview and then I've said, all right, guys, we'll be back with more in half an hour. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, but uh, there is actually one thing that this segment is meant to be about. It does not surprise me because also when you used to panel our radio show, and we'll get to that, you used to play yesterday's is traffic. Is why I'm here? So, you want to talk about that? Is that? We'll, we'll get back to that. We'll circle back on that. I'm Are not... you hooking yourself through to that later? Yeah, in the exactly. Chat? Stay tuned, guys. <laughs> Uh, stay tuned. Later in the interview, we'll talk about when Sam used to panel for the short-lived, ill-fated Will yeah, and Lemo I'll on be Triple M. your fader down right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tune in for yesterday's traffic <laughs> coming up again soon. Uh, okay, so Gold Logie. Now, uh, the Gold Logie nominees come out earlier in the year, and uh, on on that list is is the weatherman from the Sunrise program, <laughs> Sam Mack. How, how, did, how did that happen, Sam? Oh, um, well, I guess it, I, I have to pay credit to Koshi and Sam. They actually, in a sense, put me forward, if that makes sense. Um, we'd just been in Japan for, for the show for a week, and uh, my producer said, oh, look, Monday morning, just come to Martin Place. That's where the show's based out of. I'm rarely in Martin Place because I'm everywhere, but... And he said, oh, we'll just do a few interviews around the studios and we might have some guests come down. So I didn't know much about it. Then I get there and they had planned a launch of like vote for Sam for the Gold Logie. They had political style um, posters printed off. They had hats called Mac the Logie's Great Again. And that's an excellent pun. And you know, that's uh, puns are very close to my heart. Sam, I can't believe that you didn't come up with that. I'm disappointed in I myself. 100- that's probably why I didn't win the Gold Logie. Like, I mean, I 100% would have just locked in the fact that you had come up with Mac the Logie's great again. <laughs> no, it is didn't. so out of your playbook. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I was almost like I was proud because yeah. that they understood you. Yeah, I'm you know me. I'm you get me. Yes, you really you get me. me. Yeah. You hear me? I see you. You see me. <laughs> it really was like that. It was really special. Um, so they and they campaigned. They had some um, highlights of things that I'd done on the show, and they for that show they kind of pushed guys. Yeah. If you're voting in the gold. We're, we think Sam should be voted for gold. Here are the reasons why he's done this. This mm. it was a very, very uh, humbling experience because I had no idea they were planning to do that. So that obviously helped. But yeah, I somehow got in listed in the top six or seven, whatever it well, is in Australia. Well, you ran with the idea because again, like you said, seven seven breaks a day. <laughs> got to fill it with something interesting. You know why not fill it at least? I mean, not that you did, but like why not occasionally? you know, lean into the idea, right? Yeah. So then it gathers some momentum. The list comes out and you are on that list. Yeah. Uh, and one of the favorites going into it, to, to be <laughs> honest. Um, how did that feel? Because suddenly, you know, I mean, regardless of what people think about the Logies, and yeah. I think my opinions on the Logies are pretty clear and on the record. You've tweeted about it a few times, haven't you? <laughs> from the Logies. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you're not allowed to tweet from the Logies anymore. So... <laughs> I did the opposite. I did not make the Logies great again. <laughs> um, I like there is a you know an aspect of it that people can treat as a joke, but you don't get nominated on that list without being. It, it establishes you a member of the you know Australian television fraternity. You know, in a in a legitimate way, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, did it feel like that? Or did it feel like, what did it feel like when you suddenly like realize, oh, hang on, I'm on the list now. I'm, I, I will be able to say forever, gold Logie nominee, say, say, Sam Matt. It was very surreal. It really was. Um, I'm not one of those people who talks down on the Logies. Like, yes, I have some fun with it. And I agree. We have to have a sense of humor about it, of course, but I'm also a TV nerd. Like I've grown up and I would watch the Logies from start to finish. You know, sometimes you have to miss the next day of school because mm. it doesn't finish till 10 a.m. Uh, <laughs> but you want to see who wins the gold. Um, so I was... I've, I've said it before. I will say it again. Uh, some people said that Tom Gleason's speech was too long. Like they were like, it was a good speech, but then he yeah. got a bit bitter towards the end. If if they had brought him up on stage another bottle of wine <laughs> and said, we're now going to switch to Jem and you can watch the next hour of this oh, speech, yes, I would have... <laughs> Ad free. 100%. Tell us what you really think, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it was, I was in a, an Ipswich motel room of all places mm -hmm. when I found out we were traveling for the show. My favorite John Williamson song. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, Michael Pell, our executive producer mm -hmm. called me, told me the news and he said that he said, he said, this is something that, you know, no one on sunrise has ever been nominated for the gold logie before the show's been going 20 years or something and he said that this is something that you'll always have and can never be taken away from you and we're very proud and you should be very proud and let's have fun with the campaign so it was really special but the thing that uh, i remember the most about that experience was just a wave of love like i had so many people like that i played soccer with in under 14 or that i you know, when I finished school, I worked at a call center while I was studying, you know, just with all these middle-aged women, I used to run quizzes with them between taking calls. I would play the thesaurus game where I would say a word and they had to come up with a synonym. I'm still single. Uh, <laughs> um, so these ladies were like, we voted for you. Yeah. We're so proud of you. We remember when you were 18 and doing this. And I just had this wave for that whole couple of weeks of people. I felt like I was dying or it's like, like, this is your life or something like that. Um, and, and on top of that, I took my mum. So 
Uh, mum doesn't get, I don't get to see my family that much because I'm traveling all the time. And mum is not a big traveler. Uh, she'd never been to the Gold Coast before. She's never been to a fancy awards night. So my sister took her shopping in Adelaide to get her a dress for the night. I walked the red carpet with mum. I took my cat, Coco. It was, it, it felt like my wedding day. And your cat's there? Only the bride left me for Tom Gleason. <laughs> Yeah, the bride left you for the best man who's making a very bitter speech. <laughs> um, you, your position that you ran with, I thought was a great insight into how you view your job in, in regard to the fact that you were, you positioned it as being your nomination was the nomination for the the ordinary person, the viewer, the people who are there. Just on a battler from the suburbs of Adelaide trying to make ends meet on Struggle Street. <laughs> I mean, I may have said that. I became a politician, is what you've just learned. I had a few phrases on rotate. <laughs> yeah, but you connected with that idea a lot better than Bill Shorten did during the election. So, um, uh, so did you, what, what were your expectations on the night? Did you believe that you were a chance to win it? Like, do you go into a night like that? I mean, when I was nominated for the Gold Logie, beaten by uh, Elf Stewart from Home and Away. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I was nominated for the Gold Logie, uh, I had no expectation that I was going to win. You know, in the in the field of names, there was no sort of, you know, you were like very much that it's nice to be nominated. Yeah. Uh, so I got drunk and tweeted and the rest <laughs> is history. <laughs> <laughs> Still Googleable, apparently, because I was showing my hairdresser the other day. <laughs> He's like, "Do you ever go to the Logies?" And I was like, "Well, I'll Google some articles that explain why I don't anymore." <laughs> so, um, I, but you, you, my understanding, and, and they don't tell you guys this, but my understanding from people I know inside, you know, the industry is that you were, you know, one of the people who was getting a lot of votes and a lot of supports. Sunrise is a very popular show. And like you said, a lot of people really got behind your campaign. So what was your, on the night, what's your level of expectation around what the result of the night will well, be? Well, I didn't expect to win. I know that sounds cliche. I, I really wanted to see Amanda Keller win. I, I love Amanda. I know her personally through bits and pieces and I'm a huge fan of her work. And I think she's consistently delivered amazing work for a long time. Um, so I would have loved to see her win, but I also, I'm a fan of Tom Gleeson. I, I think Tom ran a really funny and it, it worked and good on him. And I'm a huge comedy supporter. So I, I, I love that result as well. Um, so I thought, I definitely thought those two were the front runners. I thought that I would be around the mark, but I definitely thought they were the front runners. I, yeah, I didn't think I was going to win, but then at the same time, I didn't think I was going to be nominated. So you never know. So yes, I had, okay, what if I have to get up there? Now, what yes. am I going to do? So yeah, can you tell us? what you, cause you would have at least had the thought, like, you know, we've heard how much thought you put into yeah. your, yeah, your sunrise crosses. You would have at least had the thought about how you would handle that moment. If that moment came along and much like a Tom Gleason, you would have had to dealt with the fact that some people would have had an issue with it. Not in the same way they had an issue with Tom, but there would have been some people who were like, it should have been Amanda Keller, not the weatherman yeah. from sunrise. If, oh. they're, if they're not paying close attention to what mm -hmm. it is that you do, like, yeah. you know, um, so what did you have planned? Did you have planned a way you would approach winning the gold logo? Um, I, I wouldn't have given any time of day to those people because I don't think it's about that. I, that, I would have just made it positive and fun and, and paid, paid, I guess, tribute to a few people who, you know, have been particularly supportive and 
having mum in the room and that kind of thing. I had a few things I wanted to do, um, just in case. Oh, you know the worst part. So <laughs> I had a couple of notes. You know how you have to like prepare a speech, prepare a speech. Yeah. I'm not a big speech preparer. I don't write things down, but I had a couple of dot points just because in case I, in the unlikely mm. event of an emergency, yep. <laughs> that I would thank and remember to thank the thank right people. Thank mum. Yes. Thank <laughs> yeah. cat. Yeah, that's it. It was thank. a very short speech. Uh, not quite as meaningful as <laughs> Carrie's beanies for brain cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Nikki Webster and the Wiggles. <laughs> I mean, that would be spectacular. Like you've written a musical. <laughs> Together you've at last. You've written an entire sort of musical number as your speech. <laughs> the Wiggly Websters. Here they are. Um, no, but I, a few days after, I took my suit. I wore a dirty green velvet suit. Oh, yeah. um, to the dry cleaners <laughs> and left a speech. Like, not speech, but left yeah. the notes for the speech in it. So it's, I haven't picked it up yet. It's still that the lost speech is at a dry cleaners in Sydney. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, I'm just going to have a, just a toilet break. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> so, uh, Sam Mack, uh, this, there's a loose premise to this podcast, which is I ask people whether they have a, a philosophy, whether it be mm. a life philosophy, a love philosophy, a, uh, family philosophy, any sort of, sort of, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's a premise. But I yeah. like to ask the question regardless. So do you, do you have a philosophy? I think I've already touched on it, um, certainly in terms of career, and that is to uh, take risks and back yourself in. And it seems simple, but I think you'd be amazed by how many people don't do that or how many people say, yeah, yeah, I do that, but don't do it enough. What were you like at school? Because I, uh, let's, let's go back. So we're Adelaide. Yes. Grew up in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Um, the suburbs of Adelaide? Yeah, yeah. Just and, a battler from the suburbs of Adelaide. Yeah, just a bloody battler. Doing it for the people. <laughs> battler from the suburbs of Adelaide. Yeah. So where, where's primary school for you? Uh, so primary school, Parafield Gardens, which is about 25 minutes out of the city, northern suburbs of Adelaide. Um, yeah, lived around those areas. Uh, and high school, similar thing. And then uni in the city. Well, so what were you like uh, as a kid? Because you have a childlike enthusiasm as an adult. Mm. Was that always, was having fun part always part of your DNA? Yes. Uh, I was a very, very obsessive, passionate soccer player. So I really, if you ask me ages five through to 15, what do you want to do with your life? It was, I want to play for Manchester United and not jokingly, like I was very much into it training as much as possible. It was my, my focus. And, and when did that sort of dream, when, when, when did the reality that that wasn't going to happen it set in for you? It hasn't. Yeah. No, I thought because that was... <laughs> sometimes, no, there was a guy at the world cup. He was 42, Roger Miller. And yeah. he actually scored a goal for Cameroon at the uh, world cup of 42. Right. I mean, look, admittedly my training needs to improve. I was going to say, had he, had he had 20 years off playing soccer, <laughs> hosting the Cameroon weather, minor details, was he working Will. for sunrise Cameroon? You're getting bogged down in the details. <laughs> um, I think around the age of, uh, I was getting paid to play, so I was yep. at a decent level. I played for Australia at schoolboy level mm -hmm. um, against powerhouses such as Fiji. <laughs> we won, I think, 19 nil. There were frogs on the field. Um, but I, I think around the age of 18, 19, when I wasn't in like the National League, like the you know Adelaide United type setup, I wasn't there. I was close, but not quite. I think that's when I 
started to realise, oh, maybe not quite Manchester United. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what, what's that like? Because if you've had a dream uh, for so long about one thing and then suddenly you realise, oh, hang on, maybe this thing that I've dreamt about for all this time isn't going to happen. What, what was that period like? Well, the great thing was I was already doing, I guess, what I'm doing today mm. in my spare time. So I was already... You know, my sister had a boyfriend who had a video camera, so I was making videos. You know, my parents would have their friends over having boozy nights. I'd be filming them, making documentaries on them. They absolutely hated it. It was really funny to me. I created my own newsletter called The Fake Times, you know, which was just slanderous stuff, like really I awful mean, about real, re- friends. Pre- and precursor <laughs> for fake news as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you, were, you were the original <laughs> fake news media. <laughs> my parents have still got some of those um, little magazines that I made. So, yeah, I was always creative, you know, making my own little radio recordings. I was always creative. So I think, I think at around that age, actually the timing could not have been better. I think roughly around that six month period where I started to realize that I wasn't going in that direction. I won a competition on radio, which was, um, who wants to be a co-host on air on SAFM in Adelaide. And yeah. So, uh, who wants to be a co-host on air was a, well, I mean, most of it's explained by the (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's not one of those. So hang on. What's this yeah, secret sound? What's this secret sound all about? Is there some sort of sound that's a secret? Is that what you're so saying? So what does the cash cow do exactly? Yeah. <laughs> I get that it's a cow and I know what cash is. Do I give the cash to the cow and then something happens? How does this work? Uh, what, so they were looking for a co-host. In what regard? So they had um, over two weeks, the breakfast show in Adelaide, they had a different person on each day to co-host the show. Uh, one of which was Limo, <laughs> mm. our mate Limo, who I beat in the competition. <laughs> Loves it when I bring that up. Um, and you had to go on and just kind of co-host for the day. So because I play guitar, I wrote a song about some of the hosts. I knew to tap into their egos because it's breakfast radio. That was very wise. Even when I wasn't in the industry, I knew that. Uh, I wrote a few jokes. like almost it's an like amazing a... bit of insight, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I wrote a couple of jokes, like almost like a Letterman top 10 list. Yes. And... The other thing uh, that was working my favor was, as I mentioned earlier, at that time, I was doing a bit of part-time work in a call center. So people had to ring in to vote. So when this like call center of around 60 or 70 middle-aged women, when they weren't on calls, there was a big whiteboard that said, call 13, 10, 60 and vote for Sam in the co-host on air competition. So I rorted the competition. Another great lesson for showbiz, just rig everything. Um, and the prize was to go to Edinburgh. So I went to Edinburgh. In Scotland for the Fringe Festival, I went to all of these comedy shows. I reviewed acts. I got to, but m- most valuably, I-, I got to sit with a breakfast show. And Richard Marsland was writing for that show. Uh, you know, Amanda Blair was hosting. James Brayshaw was doing stuff at the time, I think. Um, so it was a, it was a real crash course in this is how the media works. And I loved every second of it. And I knew that somehow I needed to infiltrate this, this, this area. Uh, so how did you, we'll get, and by the way, um, I, I want to talk to you about Richard, but let's, let, well, let's do this first and yeah. we'll, we'll come back and, and talk about Richard. But, um, uh, so how did you go from winning this competition? Yeah. It, what happens, what happens next in your career? I win the competition and then I get back, well, I do the trip. We get back uh, a couple of weeks after that and they, offer me some, <laughs> some work driving the Black Thunders. And I think I'm on record as the worst Black Thunder driver in history because I had no sense of direction and I refused to use like any form of map. So, <laughs> so we would miss crosses and not narrowly miss crosses. Like on the radio, it'd say, we're on the corner of Main North Road and, you know, at the blah, blah, blah chicken shop and we would be an hour away. From- <laughs> we are not there. <laughs> so I was so bad at it. I think... 
I was so bad at it. They said, "Hey, mate, maybe your best suited to being in the studio and oh. like you know doing some of the hosting." So I'm you like, failed. Up, you failed upwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So then I was on during the day, and then they got me to fill in at breakfast, and then it kind of took off from there. So you subscribe to that idea of just get inside the room? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get inside the room, do things for free. I did like quite a bit of voluntary work. Ask questions. Don't be shy to go up. Email people. Um, these days, it's easier than ever to write a direct message to someone. You know, Anthony the Blue Wiggle did it to me. Whatever. Stop bringing it up, Sam. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I would just subscribe to that 100%. Like, just go for it. Talk to people. Ask the question. The worst that could happen is they ignore you. Um, that's fine because someone else will respond to you. So what is the first, you know, thing that you start to go, this is where I could be taking my career? Uh, yeah, when do you start to feel like this is, you know, I, I, rather than just a guy who won a competition or a guy who's like driving the Black Thunders, yeah. when do you start to think here's this entertainment world is something that I could build a career in? Well, I think, and this is possibly, uh, maybe I'm a little bit deluded. Uh, maybe my parents, my dad in particular, instilled a confidence level, which might not necessarily be commensurate to talent level. But I had this, I, I think I believed that all along because I was already kind of doing it. You know, when I was making my magazines, when I was making fake radio shows, when I was making film documentaries about my family, I was already doing it. So when I would see professionals too, I go, oh yeah, I've done that. Like not to their level, but I can do that. So I just had this, I guess, confidence to think that I could do it. And, and I worked very hard on it. Uh, before sunrise, give us a little, uh, sketch of what your career involved between winning a competition on Adelaide radio. And, uh, and by the way, I, you know, as you know, I'm asking this more for the audience because yeah. I actually Will, know. Well, we've it. spoken about <laughs> yeah, this several times. He never times. listens to anything I say. Hi, I'm yeah. Sam. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with interviewing sometimes, sometimes people that you yeah. know really well. You're like, I know what happened, but I think it would be interesting for the audience <laughs> for them to hear your journey to Gold Logie nominee. <laughs> Uh, what happened in between? So, um, yeah, so you do a bit of Adelaide radio. Yeah. When, when does that, how long are you involved at SAFM before that, that you move on to something else? I think five, five or so years. And, and I was very ambitious. I still am very ambitious. I don't think people should be ashamed of being ambitious. Um, and oh, I like that. So tell me before we go back then, what, what, what are your ambitions now? Oh, uh, now? Yeah. Um, what would, what would you love to be doing, uh, you know, more than you're doing now? Well, I love what I'm doing now, but I'd also love to um, make my own podcast, make my own shows, do something for a Netflix or a Stan, um, you know, try new creative ventures. I have some ideas on um, a show with my mum as a co-star. I've got, yeah, I've got a lot of ideas. Music is an area I want to explore and, and, and make more stuff in. Um, yeah, so I've, I'm full of ideas. Not many good ones, but I'm full of, <laughs> I've got a lot of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good. Okay. And so back then, even then you were ambitious. What would, mm. do you, can you identify what your ambitions were back then? Yeah. So I would be on during the day in the, in the radio station in Adelaide, basically talking for 20 seconds between each song, you know, coming up soon, you know, you can win this, here's a song, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that was cool. And I loved that, but very quickly I was not challenged by that. So I would say we, I was lucky enough to have Craig Bruce was the um, content director, the boss for the whole network. He was based in Adelaide. So I would be hitting him up saying, Hey, how can I, how can I do the breakfast show? Or when can I do, can I do a night show? I'll do it for free. Or can I, can I go to Sydney and do some stuff over there? I just, I just wanted to do it. And I was unashamed. I would just hit them up and say, can I do this? And after a while, I guess it helps put you on the radar and you have to be able to do it as well. And then I started, he, he, you know, credit to him, he would send me to Sydney and I'd fill in for the hot 30, which is the national night show. 
So I did that for a little while and started to make contacts in Sydney and Melbourne. And then, um, that's when I encountered you guys. When I, Limo was a mate of mine. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I beat him in the co-host on air competition. Oh, really? Yeah, Limo. You actually, you should, it, oh, people should actually tweet him about that. They should actually. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you're listening to this right now, it's probably a good time to send a little tweet to Limo to Ask remind him how him. he went. How did he go in the? It was about 2001. Who wants to be a co-host on air, air competition? <laughs> Barely a pun. He's also almost a, a pun. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Mac the Logie's great again. Damn, I didn't come up with that. Um, yeah, so that's when I met you guys. Well, I mean, I'd already, I was already friends with Limo, I guess, but that's when he introduced me to you. So I worked on your radio show as the, the Button Monkey. You were, yes. So this was, but again, a classic example of you having an opportunity to do one thing and taking the opportunity to turn that into something much bigger than what it was. So At, at any point, did you think who is this guy and why is he trying to take over? Uh, constantly. <laughs> I constantly thought that. But I love I love that attitude. I would much prefer somebody becoming into the office every day and wanting to do five times as many things as they're being paid to do or having ambitions for, like, yeah. I, am, I would always love that someone's starting position is, here are all the ways I could get myself in the show today. <laughs> yeah. And then my, my yeah. role is to go... Gatekeeper. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, look, well, one of those tomorrow. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. You've said that 20 days in a row, Will. Yeah. And that's the lesson you're learning from me <laughs> this period of time. But no, I, I love that. And I'm, you know, I mean, it would have been great if occasionally you'd played the traffic from the right day, but... <laughs> traffic schmaffic. Okay. So one of my jobs was to play out the audio reports of the traffic and sometimes I wouldn't check the labelling. So um, Sydney would get uh, traffic from sometimes a week ago, mm. you know, but the M1's always busy. I mean, <laughs> it was rare that we got a call from somebody saying the traffic was wrong. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was rare we got a call because we're up against Hamish and Andy. <laughs> In fact, we once got a call from Nikki Webster, who was trying to ring Hamish and Andy, yeah, that's right. and got put through to our show yes. by accident. And we interviewed her because we couldn't get that that level of talent ordinarily. That's where I built the bond with her that later paid off. So, tell me about from your perspective, because I have memories of yeah. what that time was like. But tell me about how, from your perspective, you, you know, finagled your way into our show and then into our hearts. <laughs> well, I. I think so fondly of that time and, and it actually, and I've said this to you before, this is me now doing what you've been doing, pretending we haven't had these conversations, but you, you were a very pivotal part of me, I think, starting to understand how to write comedy and understand, understand, have a better understanding of comedy. Um, even, even things that, um, you might not even remember, but you put me in contact with people at Good Newsweek, which is a show at the time. And I did a, a week of sitting in, in their writing meetings and took so much knowledge from just sitting there and seeing how do they craft a joke? How do they improve a joke? Wh how do they order the jokes? All of that stuff was so valuable. And then to write with you, we wrote uh, a series called Black Thunderbelly, <laughs> which was something I'm very proud Still of. Still holds up. Yeah. I, I, if you want to, you know what, let's, uh, Let's see, because uh, I, I put it out once, the yeah. entire thing on the TOEFOP feed, so people might be able to find it there, but I reckon we should try to find it. We might put it out as a bonus episode alongside this and see if we can re-release. I loved that experience. I, I don't think legally. There's, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of things in there that we don't have the rights for or whatever, but you know what? We're cowboys. It's podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try it and see if it gets pulled down. But yeah. yes, we wrote a Underbelly parody, which was also a commercial radio parody yeah. called uh, Black Thunderbelly, which was 
was like a 20-part series <laughs> where every episode was like three and a half. It was against every rule you should follow in radio. Yeah, but which we is why it was fun. So much fun doing that and, mm. and writing that together. And it was, a, yeah, no, it's still to this day, I think, one of the things that I'm most proud of that, that I've worked on as well. Yeah, and I, and that process for me was was really rewarding. Um, and, I, you know, I knew that I'd be getting something on air. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is how I get things on air. Make sure Will's in it. Yeah. <laughs> He can't say no to himself. Um, but yeah, that was a really, really important year for me because I think also sort of learning from you and, and getting confidence from you because I didn't really have a big comedic background. I'd sort of dabbled in bits and pieces, but to do it every day with you and to see you do it every day gave me so much that then somehow the timing worked out that when Will and Limo finished, I was offered a breakfast radio show in Perth and, and went and had my first breakfast radio show just like that. So breakfast radio, does it prepare you for breakfast television? Which is, which is harder of the two, breakfast radio or television? If you're doing my role, breakfast television is harder because of the travel. They're both very hard. Like it's unnatural to be up at that time of the day. Breakfast TV, more so than radio, you need to present yourself, you know, visually. Um, <laughs> I never used to wear jackets like this, did I? No. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did breakfast radio there with Emerciano, Basil Zemplis, Lisa Fernandez over the course of three, three years in Perth. And then decided towards the end of that, when I was working for the project, the whip around that I wanted to push TV. So I basically ended my time there and and decided to push TV. So that's a big thing though. Like, I mean, you're doing, you're doing quite well. You've, uh, you know, you've got sort of a real starring role over there now. You're, I, look, I'm this, I'm not going to bandy this around lightly, but you're a personality <laughs> at that stage. You have become a personality and a lot of people find the dazzling heights of being a personality irresistible to yeah. walk away from being a oh, personality, yeah. you know? Uh, so what made you think, no, nah, I'm done with being a personality. I'm going back to the East coast and I'm going to throw myself into the most competitive entertainment world, which is television. Well, first of all, I was in a long-term relationship, long distance relationship. My girlfriend was living in Sydney. So we were back and forth. That was very, very difficult. Um, so that was a big factor. But secondly, I felt that I had done what I needed to do in Perth. Three years of a breakfast radio show. It had gone pretty well. The ratings were pretty solid. I'd experienced a lot. I knew that I was ready to have a crack at Melbourne or Sydney. I boiled it down to that. And I'd always been really passionate about TV, but had never really explored it properly. It had always been something sort of on the side a little bit. So I had contacts at the project. They were really supportive of me. Charlie Pickering and also the producing team were amazing with me, Carrie. Um, so I said to them, hey, I'm going to be in Sydney. And sure enough, and this is a great lesson again, in, you know, back uh, following your gut. Um, sure enough, within, I think, five or six weeks of moving back to Sydney, they put me on a contract. So I was a contracted to the project. See, that to me, because a lot of people would find, particularly I imagine when you first go to a Perth and do breakfast radio, that you're probably earning more money than you've ever earned yeah. before in your life oh, and yeah. probably by a considerable amount. Yeah. Like even over in Perth, breakfast radio is still... It's good money. Decent yeah. enough money, you <laughs> yeah. know? Uh, I was the cash cow. Yeah. It's certainly, a, it's certainly a lot better than no job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to lock yeah. in that you do it a lot better than no job. So the idea that you've given up something that has such a guaranteed security to take a risk on yourself, explain to me, is that just a natural level of believing in yourself that you will make it work? Did you have any you know, fears or regrets or, you know, were you terrified about the idea that you'd ever made a terrible mistake or did you just have this confidence that you were going to turn it into something? I think your threshold changes as you take more risks and realize that you'll always be able to eat. You know, I, I had this thing. So I took a risk in moving from Adelaide to Sydney 
I didn't have a full-time job locked in in Sydney. Sure enough, within a few weeks, months, I had, you know, established enough work to live. I took a risk in moving from Sydney to Perth. I'd never been to Perth. I didn't have any friends there. My girlfriend's still in Sydney, but I went there and it went well and it paid well. So because I'd taken those risks initially, I was, I think, more open to taking risks. And now, you know, I'm, I find that rarely have one of my big risks not paid off. So yeah, you'll find a way. Is one of your great strengths, your capacity just like taking risks itself is one of your strengths. You know, like with creatively, some, yeah. yeah. Like the idea that you are willing to take risks has, in many ways, prepared you for the yeah you know, the job that you're doing at the moment. Absolutely, but but also in we all take risks in content ideas. In you know, what's my angle for this? Who am I gonna? What am I making a joke about? Or that's that's part of it. But then it's like, how big are these risks you're willing to take? And I find often the bigger the risks, potentially the 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 bigger the fall, but bigger the reward. And the last thing I think you want to do is be beige and unmemorable where you don't take any risks. And there's a lot of people in media who don't take any risks and they'll, they'll be safe. They'll have a solid, you know, steady career and income. And that's great for some people. They're probably happy with that, but I'm not happy with that. I want people to remember what I do or to find it interesting or to stand out. So to do that, you've got to go for it. High risk, high reward, but a high chance of it failing if it, if it does fail. So how do you uh, deal with you know, the occasions where like it does fail. You've got to laugh at it and laugh at yourself and, and be self-deprecating and own it and don't try to pretend it didn't happen. And, and often that can turn it into a success. It's like the Conan monologue thing, you know, the joke bombs, but he turns it into a great part of the show. Uh, it's interesting to me, that perspective, because I'm uh, next year going to do, so I've been doing this improv show thing for, yeah, for a I've little while. this. And I've, I've done it in Sydney. It, it originally started as a way to come up with material. And then over the last couple of years of doing it at the store in Sydney, it's turned into, it, it really isn't good for material at all anymore. But what it has become is I improvise an entire show on that night. It's only for that night. I it all exists this. in that room. And it's great. You've actually talked to me about this idea for a number of years. Yes. I, I remember probably four or five years ago, you had talked about that. So it's taken me, like you know, like you've said, that process of going, how can I work my way up to being in a position where I have the skills to do this, but that I'm in the mindset that I want to do this. And I've, I've decided now I've locked it in for next year that at the comedy festival, you know, in the big room, not, at, yeah. I'm not, uh, you know, I was having a chat with Damien Power the other day and he was, you know, we were talking about the idea that part of the risk is I, I have to do it in the big room. Cause yes. like when I first suggested I was going to do it, they were like, do you want to find a venue like the comedy store? <laughs> yeah. That's a bit more manageable. And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. Right. I want, this to be skydiving. I, I don't, Absolutely. you know, like this has got to be, there's got to be a chance that it could go terribly. Yes. But I, I, I have absolute faith that it will work because you already do it. You already do it. Maybe only for 10 minutes a show or for 15 minutes or, and you, you do it. So it's, yeah, you've taken the safety net out and uh, yes, of course it might be a different show to what your audience, it will be a different show to what mm. your audience have seen. It'll be a different show for you, but that's something very exciting about that. And I feel that, you know, having been at a lot of comedy shows, live rooms, that kind of thing, when you can tell that something is specific to your moment there and then that night, there is more goodwill. Do you know what I mean? That's a pun on one of your show titles as well. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Um, but, but I really, Trademark. I really, no, you pronounced, you pronounced the second L, so it was a completely different thing. <laughs> I really feel that. I feel that the audience are going to be so on yeah. side that it, it's going to be great. I'm really pumped for that. But uh, when did you become comfortable with that idea? Is it just the Conan thing? or do? Because the first time you fall, it's still embarrassing. The first mm-hmm. time that you fuck something up or you, you know, something you do that you thought was going to be good is an absolute disaster. It's still 
tough yeah, to handle, it's right? It's an ego hit. Yeah, definitely. But that's just part of it. You just have to just have to accept that that's part of it. And if you want to make stuff that people, you know, remember or notice, then you have to accept that they're not all going to work. And, you know, you might fail today, but then tomorrow will be a huge success. Uh, I'd much rather that than just plateau. Uh, we we mentioned Richard Marsland, and I, I wanted to talk to you about Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you first met him working in Adelaide yeah. Radio. Do you want to... Um, I don't have an agenda particularly yeah. with what I want to talk about. I just think that, you know, it's nice to remember him and talk about him and talk about how important he was. And I don't think there's anyone who, you know, uh, like can speak about him, you know, in the way that you probably can. So can you share some of your memories of Richard yeah. and, and then maybe we can talk about, you know, what, what ended up happening with Richard and, yeah. and, you know, how you've kept involved with that, so you know, we'll work work our way through that sure. as much as you're comfortable. Yeah, well, doing. for those that aren't familiar, Richard uh, was an incredibly talented writer, performer, uh, radio host, television host from Adelaide, where I'm from. Um, <clears throat> we met through the competition we were chatting about earlier, the co-host on air competition. He was writing for the time uh, for the Amanda Blair Breakfast Show. Um, I think I had established contact with him before that, though. I think I, yeah, I had probably. I knew that he was writing for the show and he was also on the show. So he'd come on and do these hilarious sketches and he'd play these characters. And, and I really liked what he was on the air. I'm like, this guy's really unique. Like he just, every time he's on, like he makes me like feel something. I, it doesn't feel like anything else that I hear or see. And I love that, particularly in Adelaide because Adelaide's pretty safe. So he was really standing out in Adelaide. And, um, so I just wrote an email on the company email because I'd started to do a bit of work experience and said, Hey Richard, you know, I don't know you, but I really enjoyed this and this, and here's what I'm doing. Here's what I want to do. What do you think? The next day he'd written back this huge blurb and it, so many insightful, generous things that he said and told me things that he didn't need to. Like sometimes in media, people are protective of those positions, but he was like, come and sit in with me, come and work on some things with me. So yeah, for, for someone that, you know, he didn't need to give that time to, I really um, appreciated that. Um, and then, yeah, we worked together, um, through SAFM. Um, sorry, it's still hard to talk about. I, I try my best, but it, um, yeah. It's, um, he was a, I'm going to talk for a bit and then you can, um, uh, we can keep talking or we can not keep talking, but, uh, um, uh, Richard ended up writing, uh, for me as well, uh, for Glasshouse. And, um, I got to know him a little bit around that time. Uh, certainly not anywhere near as much as many of the people who got to know him over the years. And, uh, he was widely regarded as not only comedically, just stunningly brilliant. Um, you know, people would know him of course, from, uh, get this, uh, the radio show that he did with Ed Cavalier, Ed Cavalier and Tony Martin. And, uh, you know, Tony, who, you know, there's no greater comedian who's ever worked on radio in Australia than Tony Martin saw how special Richard was and how unique his voice was and the quality of the, you know, uh, writing that he did. And I certainly know um, many of the best jokes that I ever got to do on the glass house, you know, uh, uh, came from, came from Richard. Um, Are you feeling okay to keep talking? Yeah. Yeah. It's just part of that, that process. Um, 
he also created the fugitive concept, which a lot of people would know. I didn't know that he yeah, created so that. that. Is that right? Idea. So people might remember there was a, on a lot of radio stations around the country where they would have this thing where, um, you had to go up to a stranger in the street and say, excuse me, are you the SAFM fugitive or the B105 fugitive or whatever it is. And, um, that was hugely successful. Yeah. So he created that concept and then that was used around the world, that concept. So yeah, he was a, he was a creative genius and I don't use that term lightly, but also on a personal level, he was so generous as I was just saying about, you know, just responding and things like that, but also, um, so apologetic and so delightful to be around and, um, had no enemies. Um, yeah, just a, a real joy of a person. Yeah. He was, um, empathetic to a fault, obviously. And, yeah. you know, it was something that, he wore, um, you know, the, the, the same things that made him such a generous human being, which was his capacity to see the world through your eyes. Um, because I think he was great at that, you know, that very thing that yeah. meant that he sent you a blurb of genuine mm. in, instruction, you know, kind of insights rather than just, you know, fobbing you off with a couple of sentences yeah. was also one of the things that made his life sometimes, I think, you know, a struggle because he, he felt very heavily, you know, the world around him. Yeah. And that, that's part of the heartbreaking thing, um, about the Richard story is that a lot of people, most people didn't know that. And, and I think that's, you know, that's part of why I, you know, wearing a yellow wristband, I'm an, are you okay? Ambassador. I try to talk about, even though it's hard personally, I know that it's the right thing to do. And I've talked about it on sunrise. We did a piece, a beautiful piece on the project recently, which is stunning. Like, and people should, uh, I, I've I've certainly, you know, shared around on my socials, but we'll, we'll share it around again when this um, episode comes out so that people was obviously very close with him as well. And Pete was very hands-on with that piece. And, um, you know, Pete asked me if, if I, if I would be involved and I was more than honored to be involved. And, uh, Pete visited Alison and Peter at, Richard's parents in Adelaide and they were in the segment as well. And I still chat to Alison quite often. So still in, in touch with the Marslands. Um, but yeah. And, and I guess the point, the point of me talking about it is to encourage other people to talk about it. It'd be very hip- hypocritical if I was like, you know, you guys should talk about mental health if I couldn't do it. And yes, it's hard to do, but any time that I've done it on a public you know, a podcast or a show, and it's probably a handful of times, the response blows my mind in a, in a sad way, but also in an uplifting way. And, um, yeah, I, I think men in particular, we've still got a, a way to go with, with being open to talk about feelings and things like that. Um, I think it's improving. I think the, the stigma is, is starting to decrease, which is great, which is really, really exciting, but we just need to keep going with that. Um, and also I guess, the way that I've been describing it to people is, um, you know, often you say to a friend, how are you going? And they'll say, yeah, I'm good. And I, I guess we would say that to Rich and he would say that he was good. So I guess that one of the messages or points that I try to get out is to look beyond that first response. If you, if you feel that something's a bit off about one of your mates or, you know, someone at work, or you just feel there's something not quite right. Um, it doesn't have to be a big interrogation with people. It doesn't need to be a big thing. It's just trying to be a bit in tune with it and not accepting that first answer. If they just say, yeah, I'm good. Like not, not in an aggressive way, but sort of pry a little bit and, and check in regularly. Um, so that, that's, I guess, one thing that I try to get out about it. Oh yeah. I think, I think that what you're saying is cause that you would not have known. I mean, I think that, mm. I mean, obviously there were some people who, who must've known what he was going through, but, um, he was pretty good at, you know not letting people know. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, it's, 
it's one of those issues where it, it sounds like a completely trite thing to say, but Richard is always the example where I was like, how can a man who was so universally loved, like, I mean, this was the thing that you found yeah. out about Richard. You will not, you will not hear anyone from, mm. and I, like from the comedy industry, you know, the heavyweight names. And again, I know this, that doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but yeah. I remember thinking at the time, there's no one in comedy who's this well-beloved. Yeah. Like comedy can it's be bitchy. a yeah, bitchy <laughs> industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, like this guy is so well-loved by all these people. And yeah. yet the idea that he was in a place where he felt like that he wasn't loved and that he wasn't, there's a, there's a problem there. Yeah. There's there a is. problem there if we're not, you know, allowing that person to know how well loved they are and feel, you know, and, and so again, I don't want to put you in a, a situation where you feel uncomfortable talking no, no, about, it's good it, to talk about it. It's really good to talk about it. Did, were you, how did, at the time when, when you found out what had happened, can you remember where you, like how you found out the news and what, it, yeah. what you felt like? Yeah, I was actually uh, on air at the time. Uh, I was in Sydney and Richard was in Melbourne and uh, I was just doing a, a shift, uh, like a solo announcing shift and the songs were playing. And then I had a call from Craig Bruce, who, you know, was very close with Richard and had sort of nurtured him through a lot of his career. And and he told me and I was, yeah, I was just smacked for six, um, completely out of nowhere, like almost out of body experience. Um just had to leave the studio and, um, it still, it still doesn't completely compute for me. Um, even more than 10 years on it, I don't think it ever will. Um, but I think what we can do is do our bit to provide an environment where other people, men in particular feel comfortable enough if they are going through a shitty time to talk to another mate about it or to just look at some info on a website, just to try to take those little steps to improve it. Because there's countless stories of people who have been at those dark spots, but managed to get out of it. We're, we're never going to get everyone out of it, but we need to improve the numbers that we do get out of it. How do you uh, yourself handle life? Are you someone who, um, you know, struggles with these sort of things yourself? Is it something that's foreign to your life? Do you have somebody that you talk to regularly? Like when it comes to just maintaining you know, mental health yourself and your approach to life. What, what's your approach? Uh, I don't struggle from it myself. I, I, well, I don't think that I do. Um, I definitely have down days and down moments, but everyone does. That's part of being human. Um, I think when I'm having those types of days, I try to take myself out of the work situation, if that makes sense. And, and I actually like to be alone, um, listen to music, watch a documentary or watch a show, you know, Conan O'Brien, some of that Ricky Gervais, those people that immediately fill my heart with joy and fun and, you know, and that snaps me out of it pretty quickly. That, that works for me. That might not work for someone else, but what about you? Everyone's got their own way of getting through those feelings. And that's part of why I like talking about, well, why I think it's important for us to talk mm. about this because likes probably the wrong word, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, comfortable, uh, situation to, you know, be sitting here and like talking about something that, you know, it's clearly making your friend yeah. upset. But at the same time, I think it's important for us it to, is. yeah, know, it's bigger it, than us. It's simple. Yeah. yeah. And it, and the, the more that we pretend and you know what, like, I think it's also great to be able to go, you know, I miss this guy. 
and I'm sad and I'm angry and it still makes me angry today. Yeah. Well, and that's it still what I makes love. me sad today. And when I think about him and when I hear his name yeah. and when, you know, that, that it should be honored and it should be shouted. And I don't pretend that I knew Richard that well, cause I didn't. And I don't want to be one of those people who after the fact, insert yourself into somebody no. else's story. But I wish that I did yeah. and I admired his work and I knew him some, yeah. and I think it's important to, you know make sure that that legacy continues and you talk to people who did know him better about who he was and what he meant to people. And, and hopefully there's some sort of lesson and story in that for other people. That's one of the things I loved about, um, the piece that we mentioned before on the project. Um, they showed some of his talent and his comedic ability and, and why he was so revered. You know, they, they showed his Warwick Kappa prank calls, which I'd recommend anyone <laughs> go onto YouTube and just type in Richard Marsland, Warwick Kappa prank calls, and you will hear something that you will listen to at least a hundred times it's over the next genius. few months. <laughs> like, we use that word a lot, but it's genius. Um, so I love that. And I know that Pete was, Helia was very instrumental in making sure that they had some of the, this is why he was so loved professionally. Uh, but also this is why he was so loved personally. Uh, you know, well, because... I think that's brilliant too. There's um this doesn't give, uh, too much away about the movie, but, uh, and by the time people hear this, it'll be a few weeks on. So I guess it's not spoilers anyway, but once upon a time in Hollywood, yep. um, you know, obviously people know that's around the, the Sharon Tate murder. And one of the kind of things that that does, that movie does is try to reposition in our mind her from when you hear the name Sharon Tate to thinking immediately of the murder, you said Sharon Tate was an actress and she yes. was on the rise and yeah. she had a career. Yeah, and to not let the, that define them. To not let the deaths define who yeah. they were. And I think you're absolutely right that, you know, sometimes because of the manner of Richard's death and because the fact that, you know, people have used it as an opportunity to talk about depression and to talk about yeah. suicide. And I think those are very important discussions. But the fact that we still also take some time out to go, yeah, but this guy, here was his work and here's what he did yeah. and here's why it was great. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Um, and just, you know, the, the little things, it, it's hard to articulate for, for people that didn't know him or meet him personally, what type of a person he is and you try your best and, and sometimes it's the, the tiny examples, the little stories that people go, oh, he was that type of person. Um, he once stayed, uh, I was away and he stayed at my, um, apartment in North Adelaide and, you know, cause he was closer to the radio station or whatever. And. And he stayed, I think it was like probably only there for 20 hours. He stayed a night and I get back, um, two days later and he's restocked my fridge. Like he's put like all these things of milk and like, I would never get through that much milk in a year. I'm like Richard, why is all this stuff in the, he's like, Oh, I just thought, you know, I stayed at your place. The least I should do is restock. No, that's not etiquette. You don't need to restock the fridge. It's the like old rule, butter you and stay at someone's <laughs> house and you buy them a 12 month supply of milk. <laughs> but just, I don't know how you were raised, Sam. <laughs> Little things like that, I think for, for me anyway, and, you know, chatting with other people who, who knew Richard articulate, he was a very, very generous, kind, warm hearted, beautiful person and a freakishly talented comedic genius. So that's a lot to lose and that's a lot to take in. How are you with friendships? Are you a person who has a, a bunch of close friends? Um, I, I imagine your job makes it hard to maintain regularity in your friendships. So um, how do you make sure that you have a support group around you for, you know, your needs, your human needs? Yeah, it, it is hard. It's it's probably an area that I need to improve in. I think we've spoken about this. Um, the travel just makes everything difficult because it's so irregular, like in terms of, oh, I, I don't know when I can catch up with you again, or it could be a month or, and then when you're back, there's so much pressure on that day or two that I'm back in Sydney. It's like, oh, I want to have a day of relaxing before I go away again, but also 
I've got four people that I haven't seen for a month. So it's hard. I, I feel pressure. I feel a little bit of anxiety about that. Um, I think that's just something that I need to structure a bit better. Um, that's something I can improve on and have honest conversations. And, and look, I've, I'm lucky enough to have some really close friends who understand it. They, it's nothing like their life and their world and their job, but they've, because I've been doing it a few years now, they get, oh, that's part of his, his life. Uh, tell me uh, as we, you know, start to finish, uh, you know, it takes me a little while to, <laughs> to finish up. So, but I like, so to I'll start. book a cab for an hour. Yeah. I'd like to start to finish. <laughs> so, um, what do you think your greatest strength is, Sam? <sighs> My greatest strength is creativity. And, and that's what drives me. Like, that's why I do what I do. I, I don't, I don't get the satisfaction out of, um, a pay increase. I mean, I love pay increase. That was a really silly thing to say in a podcast. It's on the record, Sam. <laughs> Sam, you said this, uh, <laughs> I don't get satisfaction out of pay increase. In, no, you don't get satisfaction exclusively out of pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me a pay increase. Yeah. Um, I, I, the biggest buzz that I get is number one, creating something that I'm proud of. And number two, creating something that I'm proud of with other people that I enjoy creating things with. And it sounds pretty simple, but that is genuinely what drives and excites me. And then the flow on from that is meeting people who enjoyed it or who write to you on Instagram or whatever it is. Like I really get a sense of satisfaction out of that. And I, I try my best to respond to every single person who writes to me. And sometimes it takes a long time, you know, it takes a few weeks, but I really value people taking the time to write to me. And I think that goes back to the Richard thing, you know, Richard wrote back to my email when I was a nobody, if you want to call it that, um, he took the time to give me a really considered response. So I learned something from that. And, and that's that people can take real value from you giving your time and your response rather than just leaving them on scene. Uh, weakness. What is, uh, what would you say is your biggest weakness? Uh, I think that I, 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 I don't think that I'm great at hiding my, um, feelings if I don't like how an idea or a, a bit is playing out. So I think I can improve on that. Uh, if people have a misconception about you, what is it? That I know a lot about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> how often do people want to chat about the oh, weather with all you? All the time. No, seriously. And I meet some people who really know a lot about the weather. Like I have, yeah, they show me charts. It's so confusing. I try my best. Like, you know, I'm just on the Harbour Bridge with Nicky Webster. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, there used to be this TV series called Heroes. Uh, the idea of Heroes was they were all a bunch of people who got superpowers, you know, of different types. And one of them was a, a villain. And his superpower was he could take other people's superpowers. Oh, he did it by killing them. Oh, he would oh, go wow. around and, and then he would also have their superpower. Really? So he was going around killing all the heroes, you know, taking each of their powers right. along the line. If you could take a superpower from anybody, you know, anybody in the world, whatever that superpower is, what's the superpower you'd like to steal from someone else? I would steal um, Mo Salah's footballing ability. He plays for Liverpool and I hate Liverpool. <laughs> he's really, really good. Like he's probably one of the best players in the world right now mm. and it is a form of a superpower. So I would steal that unapologetically. Okay. Well, I was actually thinking you could steal it for yourself. Oh, uh, oh yeah. yeah. Not, well, that'd not be great. just from him. Yeah. Then I could go to the World Cup at 42 <laughs> like Roger Miller from Cameroon. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> um, now, on the um, philosophy thing, there was one other thing that I, yeah. I was planning to share, if you want yeah, me to. please. Um, and it's something that I think is a better way of articulating the whole taking risks and backing yourself. And it's probably where that comes from, to be honest. Um, 
So I mentioned before that, you know, growing up, I was very passionate, wanted to be a professional footballer. And that was my, I guess, my livelihood. That was everything to me. And I think at around the age of 13 or 14, my dad gave me this plaque and it had a poem on it and it's called defeatism. Mm -hmm. And I put that up in my room and I would actually look at it and think about it seven times in a row every night before I go to sleep for years. So I can share the Please the do. Piece. Yeah. Yes. So it goes, if you think you are beaten, you are. If you think that you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win, but you think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you've lost. For out in the world, you'll find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but soon or late, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. I love that. I love that. I, I used to have on my desk in Sydney a little, uh, it was like one of those kind of heavy bits of metal that they'd been engraved in. And it's a much shorter version of that, but it's, yeah, it's uh, a bit wordy. <laughs> uh, it just said, what would you attempt if you knew you couldn't fail? Yeah. yeah. And I always think that that is a, like, you know, that the failure is that we stop ourselves from doing things because of the idea. That's of right. Failure. And most people do. Most yeah. people do that. Um, yeah. So that, that's been a huge part of, I guess, my philosophy or philosophy, however you want to put it. Uh, and, and that initially was something that dad gave to me for football, for soccer, but, or maybe he knew better than I did. It became part of my life and my career and the decisions that I make and the risks that I take having that in the back of my mind. And I, a couple of years ago, cause I never really spoke to him much about it. I said, Hey, that, that plaque, that right. was amazing. Like, you know, the, the poem, blah, blah, blah. I said, how did you come up with the idea? Like, where did this whole concept come from? And he said, oh, I was at the soccer club, the Salisbury Soccer Club, and there's a old shed and they were throwing stuff out. <laughs> I'm serious. He's like, they were going to throw it out. And I just thought the gold part looked good. And I thought you might like it. Um, uh, thanks, Dad, for my life philosophy. <laughs> okay. Well, I still want to ask you a couple more questions, but I have to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> was the poem too long? It was no We're nearly done. Uh, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the Philosophy Podcast. Um, uh, puns, puns on my name. I just wanted to mention that, uh, which was uh, that many of the show titles that people have seen over the years uh, were actually uh, not written by me, but were written by uh, TV's Gold Logan nominated <laughs> Sam Mack. Yeah, uh, because I remember that was one of the tasks yeah, that they put I you through that one task, day. Though. I was like, sit down and come up with as many will puns. Is that why you've got me back? You ran out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a few years. I actually went through my list the other day because I was like, because um, I've just done 25, uh, 25 shows, and um, uh, I was looking at my list. I was like, well, if I do another twenty five, that'll take me up until when I'm seventy or seventy one <laughs> or something like that. And I looked at my list to see how many titles I had left. Yeah, and there's like about fifty on the list. Is there really? Yeah. So there's some that are definitely not going to make the cut over the years. Wow. Have you decided on the name for the the, the exciting new show? The that one. Uh, what you talking about, Will? Yes, uh, that's yeah. right. I have yeah. heard that. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's that what I call one. it in Sydney. But yeah. I mean, what's a really improvised well. show? <laughs> <laughs> if it's an improvised show, you've got to go. What you talking about, Will? Can you is, video a bit of this just for oh, social media purposes. Social, Sorry, it's content? really unprofessional. Is this a content? We'll just talk like we're not we being video. Gonna, hang on, I'll put yeah. my beanie on so that I don't have bad uh, podcast here. Yeah. There we go. Look at that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. We're getting some good online content. So we'll here. make it look like I'm telling a really yeah. interesting anecdote. Oh, and then wow. Anthony, the blue wiggle, slid into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great. <laughs> 
Will's currently doing the hand signal of the Wiggles. You'll see that on my social media, Sam Mack. Yeah, that's right. That was for the video. That was some <laughs> sweet video content. Um, it, I ask this question all the time. Uh, what do you think happens when we die? I think uh, you physically cease to exist, but I think that spiritually uh, you live on in ways that you don't have any say in. So it could be through an animal, could be through a person, could be through nature. I believe that your spirit lives on and what elements of what you stood for and what you contributed live on. Um, when people remember you, how would you like them to remember you? Just a battler from the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to make ends meet on Struggle Street. No, um, someone who was creative and someone who had a go and someone who made them smile or laugh as simple as that. Um, and, uh, it's, it, it's not, it, I guess it's, it's not compulsory, uh, it, your answer to this question, but, uh, okay. I'll, I'll just, I'll ask the question and then I'll give my mm -hmm. provisos. It's the time travel question. So I've got a time machine. You've got a return flight on the time machine, right? Uh, but you only have one, you know, one return flight. And here are your op options. You can go back to a moment in history and watch or change the moment in history. Yeah. Or you can go back to a moment in your own life and change or watch. So like either change a moment in your life, have a do-over, or go back and observe a moment in your life. Watch it happen. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, Firstly, do you take the option of uh, my trip on my time machine that I have? Yes, I do. And uh, now, w where are you going? Um, I think that I would, I had a couple of thoughts come to mind, but the one, well, the, you can tell me both. Okay. The, the first one that came to mind was to watch my mum and dad get married. I don't know. Oh, there's just something nice. really sweet about that. Um, I think there's also a bit of inherent guilt because I don't spend much time with them. So to be able to say, guys, I was at your wedding. I was day. at your wedding, guys. Remember Will's time travel machine? Yeah. <laughs> And Caught the bouquet, <laughs> did a speech. It was my Logie speech that I didn't get to make. Made, which was weird. Yeah. <laughs> Brought the cash cow as a date, which is weird. And the uh, the other one um, to watch myself being born because I'm really oh, egotistical. Wow. <laughs> yeah. now, and like I get some great content for the gram. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's some good options. <laughs> Don't you think that would be interesting, though, to watch yourself come into the world? You can choose which end you're at, but that would be interesting. No, I do not. I cannot think of anything worse really? than experiencing my own birth. I, I like the... I like the idea of uh, watching my parents get married. Yeah. I reckon I, that, okay, that. so I should have ended at that you one. You really should have. You can cut that bit out. You're perfect. I was like, definitely what I'd like to go back in history. Kill baby Hitler? No, no, no. <laughs> I want to see myself, Sam Mack, be born. I want to see my original entrance, so to speak. Uh, all right, Sam, what can, what can we plug today, sir? What can we uh, get? Well, I mean, obviously the Sunrise Program. People yep. can catch you doing live crosses seven days. Seven, sorry, seven uh, segments a day. That's right. Five days a week. Yes. Monday, 35 Friday. segments a week. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, that's correct. Uh, you can, I guess social media is easiest because I plug everything that I'm doing on there. So my Instagram is Sam Mac Insta. My Twitter is Mr. Sam Mac, and I'm also Sam Mac on Facebook. So yeah, love to have you guys on and congratulations. I genuinely, I mean, we've been mates for years. I've told you this, but uh, on the record, this podcast is incredible. Um, I, I just love that you find, you find 
things about people that I thought I knew genuinely. And they, they, there's something about the comfort of the space and the way that you chat with people. It doesn't feel like an interview. It feels like a chat. So congratulations. And, um, I know that it was mentioned in the New York times. You keep banging on about that. We get it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry guys. New York times. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. How did you get Reviewed through a podcast without times, mentioning guys. it? <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for bringing it up, Sam. <laughs> Sam has actually just been reading the sign I have in front of me that says, <laughs> yeah. mention New, New York, York times. That's <laughs> no, incredible. Congratulations, mate. It's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Hello. Oh, oh, I've done that two weeks in a row now. No, that's just me. I, I get my headphones up too loud and then I surprise myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Tickets to give away. Sometimes we, we were in this studio, Sam, because uh, as I probably shouldn't talk about on the podcast, but my, the wonderful employers that I have in my day job mm. uh, allow us. Um, yeah, I, look, I, when I say allow us, we haven't had a really direct conversation about the fact that we use their studios, but <laughs> look, they see us down here. They see us down here talking to people and those people aren't the people I talk to on my radio show. Oh, hang on. I haven't introduced you. This is, and now we're going to have to put this at the end. <laughs> this is not how the podcast starts. This will have to be, the, this can be a little bonus secret bit at the uh, end of the podcast. Uh, that's what we'll do, Sam. So uh, we, I've just, that was, what a lovely conversation we just had there, Sam. It was brilliant. Are we still having that conversation or is it finished? Uh, now it's finished. See, I don't know if I can talk now. <laughs> All right. Now, that's at the end. We'll reset. <laughs> I, I now have to start.